everyone. I'm broad, welcome to our live broadcast. We are continuing on with study of the Anguttara Nikaya, Book of Ones. Today's quote, uh, today's uh, sutta is, or Wagga actually, it's a whole chapter. Very short, very short, what you might call suttas, but each one is only a couple of sentences. And this is on the five hindrances. The five hindrances are They're one of the staples of the meditation practice. The first things you have to know in your practice of insight meditation or any type of meditation. In fact, they're, they're essential uh, for success in any realm, meditative or otherwise. Their designation as hindrances means they get in your way, they obstruct, they prevent success, they, they prevent progress, they inhibit, they keep you stuck. Niwarana, we talked about these. Niwarana, uh, Niwarana, we talked about these, I think. It was earlier, was it on the broadcast, I think? The word niwarana, it means it keeps you back, holds you back, keeps you from attaining your goals. You see, you just see this most clearly in meditation. You're training the mind, and you're cultivating clear and, and profitable states of mind. So you see quite clearly the things that are preventing you from having a clear mind. There are five, um, five hindrances and they're essential learning for a new meditator. Essential that you're able to recognize and to overcome the five hindrances. So there are there are different ways of dealing with each of the five hindrances. As with everything, there's the conventional methods and then there's the ultimate, the methods based on ultimate reality. So there are conventional methods like eat less and you'll be less tired. It's conventional. It's, it's not based on the moment-to-moment -moment experience. In moment-to-moment in -moment experience, really, there's much more simply to do with how mindful you are. As you're more mindful, you cultivate all the wholesome qualities that are necessary to overcome the hindrances. But it's interesting to, to, um, to single out the cause and the cure for each of the hindrances, because they have different qualities, and therefore different causes and cures. 
So the Buddha says, Nahang bhikkhuve anyange kadamang. I don't see samanupasami, I don't see one dhamma, one other dhamma that uh, that causes causes unarisen by which unarisen sensual desire arises or arisen sensual desire comes becomes more becomes greater so the first one is sensual desire and he phrases it this way that there's there's one thing that um, that causes the arising of sense desire. It's interesting to know. It helps you get to the root of the problem. Essential desire or desire in general is a hindrance. It prevents you from seeing clearly. It clouds your judgment. Partiality. When you like something, you're unable to see whether it's good or bad for you. You're unable to see the true nature of it. Your desire... Um, supersedes your reason, your judgment. So it's a hindrance. And so what is the cause of what is the one Dhamma that leads to uh, sense desire, leads to desire? Subhanimitta. Subhanimitta. Subha means beautiful. Nimita. Nimita, again we come up with this word. We had it in the last chapter as well. You keep this word in mind. It's important. This is the mental uh, formation, the construct. Nimita means sign. So this could be translated as the sign of beauty. Subha. Seeing something is beautiful. There's a sign. There's a flag. If you look around you, you know, can see this here. Look at this. You see when that comes into view, there arises the sign of beauty. Some people, unless you hate flowers. When it's gone, the sign of beauty disappears. There's a sign, there's a, a uh, quality it's not inherent, actually. There's nothing beautiful about flowers, but the mind perceives them as beautiful. Maybe the other things. You see the Buddha statue here. You see my ugly face, and you have the sign of ugliness. Beauty, ugliness. These are in the mind. The mind gives rise to them. You see my face calm. It might seem somewhat attractive, but then if I go like this, and then it suddenly becomes ugly. You see, the sign arises. And it changes in your mind. Your perception changes. It's just a sign. So the sign of beauty, seeing things as beautiful, perceiving things as beautiful, this is what you have to look for. You have to be aware of this perception of beauty. Catch it when it comes. And this is what you see in meditation. You're able to, to break experience apart moment by moment. 
as a result, you, you, you're able to overcome this. You're able to achieve what is called asubhanimita, or uh, the absence of subhanimita. Asubhanimita is conventionally, asubha means not beautiful. So if you examine something, I mean, take a human, for example, right? So you look at a human, you might find them attractive. But then if you focus on the, uh, the nature of that human form, uh, the unattractive nature of that human form, it, it, it changes your perception. So if you look at uh, hair on the head, facial hair, uh, skin, if you focus on these things, you start to see that actually there's nothing beautiful about it, right? Skin, teeth, if you look at a tooth and you think about it, the, the beauty disappears. Nails, maybe nails are beautiful, but if you examine them, if you focus on them, it's a conventional way of sort of counteracting our attachment to beauty. Um, to learn to see the ugliness in things. But asubhanimitta can also mean the lack of, you know, seeing things as, as not attractive, simply not attractive. You know, I mean, looking at things in such a way that they're no longer attractive. Not ugly, but to see things impartial, impartially. Right? So when you say to yourself, seeing and seeing, it, it really is just seeing the subhanimitta, asubhanimitta. No beauty or ugliness arises. There's nothing beautiful about things. I guess the, the real takeaway from this is that it's not the thing itself that's beautiful. It's the concept in the mind or the conceiving in the mind of something that's beautiful. Number two, biapado, ill will or aversion. Well, ill will. Ill will is the other hindrance when you something arises and you're upset about it or you don't want something to arise. Biapado is is technically in regards to people. It means you don't like someone. If you're angry at someone, this is a hindrance. But it can be referring to any kind of uh, any kind of experience it doesn't have to be a person maybe the birds chirping outside that make you angry maybe the room around you maybe your own body makes you angry maybe the pain you experience makes you angry anger really is what's meant here anger is a hindrance anger gets in the way it gets in the way of not only meditation practice but success in a worldly sense just as desire does. If you want, if you're obsessed with getting things, that gets in the way of, of your goals and your ambitions, as well as in meditation. If you're angry about something, that also saps your energy and takes you away from your focus. These, both of these destroy your focus and they sap your energy. So they keep you from attaining your goal. 
They're the real enemy. Pain isn't the enemy. The enemy is disliking, it's aversion. But anger, this is anger and the cause, the one Dhamma that the Buddha says, Nahang bhikkave anyang Dhamma, eka Dhamma. There's no other besides this one Dhamma. And that is the Patigha Nimitta. Patigha Nimitta, Nimitta again, here it can't be translated as sign. It means uh, Nimitta, we have to translate it as the conceiving. Uh, or the mental construct mental construct of patika patika means aversion when you're averse to something arisen unarisen anger will arise and arisen anger will become worse and become stronger if you're angry at someone something if you're angry already and then you experience something with aversion the anger gets worse suppose you're already angry and then someone starts blaring their music in the next room if you're averse to that it feeds your anger but of course anger that hasn't arisen arises because of aversion patiga is the jetasika it's the quality of mind inherent in any anger And so if you want to understand anger here, you have to understand that it's based in aversion. It's based in an object that you perceive, that you conceive of as unpleasant. You conceive of it with displeasure, with aversion. Simple as that. I mean, this isn't really all that profound. It's just, it's incredible in its ability to make things so simple keep things so simple. The Buddha's teaching is it's quite practical and, and uh, down-to-earth. Simple, really. And if, you, if you read it, it sounds like it must be missing something. We don't realize how simple reality is. And so as a result, when you're angry, we try to figure out, you know, why we're angry, or was I maybe abused as a child or so on? Was my father maybe an angry, so it may be genetics, you know? So you think this is simple. You think it's simplistic. It's because we have all the, you know, we're, we're far too complex. We go way beyond the truth. We, we ignore the simple reality. Why are you angry? Because you have aversion. You've cultivated a habit of aversion. And so our meditation practice is very much about realigning our minds, retraining our minds, cultivating new habits of objectivity, clarity. So what is it that, what is the one Dhamma that that uh, helps anger to subside. Metta jeta vimuti. Metta, friendliness. Friendliness is the one dhamma. But again, this is conventional. But it, it makes metta, friendliness, a very useful practice. As Bhyapado here is referring to people, beings. When you're angry at someone, this is a hindrance. 
if you're angry at if you're angry it gets in the way of your practice so cultivating loving kindness is um, it's a very useful support in meditation to help us to overcome these strong anger anger towards people towards individuals but on a deeper level there's deeper level it's much more about just being objective how do you really get rid of aversion to anything you give up the you give up the the judgment when you no longer judge the experiences whether they be pleasant or unpleasant and there doesn't arise liking or disliking anyway this is this is a conventional sort of teaching. So the, the, the talk about cultivating metta is, it's useful. It's good for us to remember as beings, as human beings. But as insight, as meditators, we go deeper than this, than this sutta ta- teaches. And uh, like in the, if you read the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha says, uh, when you're angry, just know that you're angry. How do you deal with anger? Know that you're angry. Know that anger has arisen. That's it. When you have greed, lust, know that lust has arisen. You can be objective about these things, even the bad things. Then you retrain the habit of reacting. Rather than reacting, you just experience objectively. It's the second hindrance. The third hindrance is Tina Midha. Tina Midha. This is often translated as sloth and torpor. Bhikkhubodhi says dullness and drowsiness. So he translates Tina and Midha. Tina Midha is the mind that is sluggish. It's this dull, or not dull, but um, unwieldy state of mind. When the mind has has a strong focus on things, the, the, the cause, the one Dhamma that causes drowsiness, or whatever we're going to translate this as, is jeta so linatang. Linata is an interesting word comes from the verb liyati. Liyati. Liyati means to uh, to stick, to cling. So the, the mind, jeta sojalinatang, is the, the men, mental stickiness. Not stickiness, but being stuck mentally, right? When your, your mind is un unwieldy in the sense that it it isn't flexible it isn't sharp it isn't strong it isn't uh, wieldy slow to move sluggish you you can you can see this best when you begin to practice the meditation you try to focus on the stomach rising and falling in your mind quickly slips back into its state of dullness, its torpor. It's uh, sort of a dream state. And you come back and you try again and then 
your mind slips off thinking or whatever. You can feel that in the difficulty uh, involved in keeping the mind again and again noting, to keep the mind coming back to the present moment requires uh, what is the cure for Tina Mida, which is Aradaviriya. Arada. Arada means like initiative. Viriya means effort. Aradaviriya means effort and initiative or, or uh, initiative-based effort. You know, the effort to do, to get up and go. In this case, to bring the mind back again to the object. Not to work, see, people misunderstand with effort that they should somehow push, they should somehow work to to cultivate effort. But it's not really like that. It's the effort to do again and again, to not stop, to not quit, to not let the mind slip away. Do it again, again, every moment, because it's incessant. And in the beginning, it's quite challenging. It's quite tiring something that tra that trains you in effort to come back again and again to the experience that's number three number four is udhacha kukucha udhacha kukucha udhacha is is restlessness kukucha is worry they're two different ones two separate ones but they both, restlessness and worry, both come from jetaso aupasamo, which means uh, mental disquietude. Upasama means quietude or tranquility. Aupasama disquietude. When the mind is not quiet, when the mind is not focused, the mind is not settled. This one uh, is, I mean, I guess they all have much just to do with, with, with time, but this one especially, it's not something you can force. This one especially people try to force, to prevent the mind from thinking, prevent the mind from, prevent the mind from wandering. But this just comes from time as the mind settles down. This is wupasama. Eventually the mind settles, it calms down. They give the the analogy of a, a baby cow. When you have a cow and you're trying uh, uh, an ox, they would train oxes to to pull you know, pull the carts or whatever. So they, in order to train it, they would have to take it away from its mother and tie it up. And the mind would would run or the, the the sorry the calf would run around, wailing and trying to get to its mother and kind of a cruel practice and as an analogy goes but or in real but as an analogy it's uh, this is the mind we, we let the mind we have to let the mind let the mind run but keep a rope on it keep the rope of mindfulness so when it does run be mindful of it be aware this is seeing this is hearing keep the mind Keep the mind on a rope. It doesn't mean you tie it. It doesn't mean you have to tie it down. You just have to keep it on a rope. And eventually, 
the mind, like the baby calf will, or young calf will, will tire, and it will it will settle down. Once you don't give it any quarter, for the calming of the mind, there are you know, there are ways to calm the mind artificially through samatha meditation. But the ultimate quieting of the mind is just cultivating the habit of experiencing the very things that cause distraction, experiencing them with with focus, with clarity, without reacting. And in this case, reacting means giving rise to thought about the object. You know, when you see something, rather than judging it and creating all sorts of mental activity about it, Learn to just see it, let it go. We're so quick to react to things, no? You maybe see something on the internet and it makes you think, it makes you, you like it or you dislike it, you get incensed by it or you get attracted to it, and you start to think about it. It cultivates restlessness. Once you learn to see things just as they are, your mind becomes tranquil. It's quite simple. This is the cure, this is the cause, and this is the cure. They're quite, you don't have to go looking for genetic or um, traumatic causes for our problems, even all of our mental illnesses. They all come from simple truths, simple realities. And number five is doubt. Doubt here is, I think, the most interesting in this sutta. Because what is the cause for doubt? The cause for doubt, the Buddha says, is ayoni somanasikara. Now we know these terms, those of you who are familiar with Buddhist terminology. Yoni somanasikaro. Uh, yoni so means uh, to the source or from the source. And manasi, in the mind, karo means to make. What it means is to keep something in mind uh, at its very essence, keep the essence of something in mind. Ayoni somanasikara means not keeping the essence of things in mind. What it means, I mean, that's a, a, an awkward translation. It means seeing things uh, as they truly are or not seeing things as they truly are or seeing things carefully or wisely as it's often translated or unwisely. The meaning here is that if when you experience something, you don't see it as it is. You're not clearly seeing what's truly there. Yoni means the womb, actually. It's a word that means the womb. But uh, the, the reason it, how it's being used is uh, the essence, the, the very root of the thing. So when you experience pain, if you don't see it as pain, there will arise all sorts of ideas about it. It's my pain. Is it a problem? Is it going to hurt me? Doubt is not the same as disbelieving something. It's not what, what it means here. Doubt is, is uncertainty. And uncertainty only arises when you don't see things clearly. Right? Makes sense. So if you want to solve all your uncertainty, you know, what is the right path? Am I doing well? All these questions that meditators have, is this path helping? Is this path good? Any kind of doubt and uncertainty, can I do it, am I good enough, all of this comes from not, you're not even asking the right question. 
We may have questions. Am I good? Am I right? Is this right? Is this good? The questions themselves are a problem. Questions themselves are an, are an indication of not seeing things clearly. If you saw things clearly, if you saw what was really going on, you wouldn't even ask. These questions and the idea behind the questions wouldn't even arise. They come from not seeing things clearly, because you start to see it in terms of I and me and past and future, and the idea of a, me a meditation technique or, or practice or meditation center or so. Or in terms of your life, you see it as an issue that you have. Should I do this? Should I not do this? Is this right? Is this wrong? When you see things clearly, and not only are these questions answered for you, because you see whether they're right or wrong, you see the process, but you also give up asking such questions. You don't have any reason to ask. You're too busy living, you know, you're too busy being. Doubt itself and questioning itself is it's just a rabbit hole. You go down and you, you, you forget. Reality is quite simple. Anyway, so good to, for us to remember the five hindrances and to think about why they're caused. But ultimately, it comes down to our to simply practicing insight meditation as you practice. Your mind overcomes all of these. Good to remember all five of them. So, because what happens is, you'll be practicing properly and think you're progressing, but. Um, suddenly it, it becomes difficult, or not suddenly, gradually it becomes difficult to practice and you feel like you're stuck or it's, it's, you're doing something wrong. If there's something wrong with your practice, it's based on these five hindrances. And this is where you should look. If the meditation is not progressing smoothly, it's because of all five of these, one or, 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 in, or many of these. So... That's the Dhamma for this evening. Now let's get into some questions. Have any questions? Are, are breakups and divorces due to the fading away of attachment or passing away of emotions which are impermanent? No, many causes. I mean, Often it's simply because we we require new things to please us. If the person in the relationship is not uh, adapting to provide us with new stimuli, um, we can be attracted to, to a different stimuli, be attracted to a different person and suddenly want to break up because that thing is new. That's how addiction works. The same old, same old becomes less capable of providing pleasure. So we require new stimuli, and the old, same old person isn't going to provide that necessarily. That's a one big reason. Another is um, you know, the aversion to certain things. When you when you have pleasant stimuli, you're able to ignore it, but as you um, as the desire and the pleasure fades away, the displeasure in, in regards to a person is magnified. 
as a result that can become so strong that you desire or that you you, you actually call you it's you can it's like a switch at one point it becomes tips the scale and suddenly rather than loving the person you hate them Could you describe the overview of how an online course goes? Um, right, so an online course you should be doing. Eric, you should you should go. No, don't listen to others. Um, the online courses, you have to do at least an hour of meditation a day, half walking, half sitting, and by the end of the course, we ask you to get up to two hours. Uh, you require a web camera and a headset. So you have to make sure that it's all in working order, test it out. Make sure your microphone is working, make sure your earphones are working, make sure your web camera is working. And then we meet once a week as per the meeting page. And no, you don't need to take time off work. You need to keep the five precepts. So familiarize yourself with them and try to keep as close to the eight precepts as you can, not engaging in um, entertainment or not sleeping too much, not eating too much, that kind of thing. Bhante, does a newborn baby sees seeing as seeing or is it just a case of not knowing what to call the thing when he already takes his object? Sure, it takes as objects and entities. I don't understand. A baby, newborn baby reacts to things that they see, just as we all do. I mean, it's it's they have this. They aren't. They don't come in fresh. They have this habit of reacting to things that they see, and so they'll react with pleasure or with pain through seeing or hearing. I guess the, the, the brain is quite simple. And so as a result, one's the pleasure and the pain that come from seeing and hearing is quite simple. So, and the recognition process is quite simple. I don't know, I mean, not really clear on, on what you're trying, you're getting at with that question. It sounds, I mean, it's somewhat speculative. I mean, why do you care? Is that really in 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 you know affecting your meditation practice? No. So I'm kind of focusing more on meditative questions. I know you have lots of these technical questions, but a little bit. I mean, it's, and also I don't have answers to everything because I'm not the Buddha. I was curious how much a part of rules plays I'm in in meditation practice. Sometimes seems very authoritarian, does it? That's interesting. Does meditation practice seem authoritarian? Like we sit there and force you, be mindful. I mean, we have rules. But they're you know they're not exactly rules. They're you know maybe that's true. If you're talking about a meditation course, there are rules. 
because you're wasting your time if you're not keeping these rules. It's not really beneficial to you. The meditation won't progress. There are certain things that are antithetical, um, contraindicative to the meditation process. What do you think about asexuality? Is it more wholesome than actually having sexual attraction? Yes, because sexual attraction is unwholesome. Um, you know, simple asexuality can generally good, but it often just means bottling up your sexuality, which in the long run doesn't work. So it's not the answer, but it allows you to deal with the emotions, to look at them internally rather than cultivating them, you know, cultivating the habit of, of indulging. When, you're, when you become asexual, you're forced to look at these feelings. And so if you have a technique that allows you to understand them, to deal with them, then uh, it can be great. You can actually overcome them. How long does the online course usually go for? Well, if, an, if a normal course is 21 days and you don't finish the entire course online, you can't. It's The, the online course is about 15 weeks. Uh, one, one day is equal to one week. So we do about 15 no, maybe not. 14, somewhere around that. Maybe 12, I don't know. Maybe just 12 or 13 weeks. I haven't counted. Robin's leaving tomorrow? No? Leaving in the morning or the afternoon, evening? Tomorrow morning, Robin is leaving. Okay, the chairs as well, no? Hope you all help you get loaded up. I don't know what we're going to do without you. Well, we might have, we're going to have more people coming and hopefully someone will be able to stay and help out. We really do need someone here as a steward. Unless Michael somehow comes back, but I'm not holding my breath. I need to cultivate someone new. Find someone new who will come and practice and then stay and help. There's a couple of people who are expressed interest. No more questions. Well, that's good. We can take an early break tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. If you have more questions, if you're just typing in your question, well, uh, save it for tomorrow. Should be here, same time, same place. Good night, everyone. <laughs>